When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Rum Buncher Radio 2020 Season Recap Special. Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso, Trey Entity with you. Tonight, we are rejoined by former catcher and AT&T Sportsnet broadcast team member, Pittsburgh legend, Michael LaFort McHenry. Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This season had all kinds of ups and downs, as you know. Um, you know a lot of a lot of Pretty bad Pirates baseball at times, but some positives to take away. On your end, a big year for your career with AT&T Sportsnet. What was your experience like in 2020, and, and what are your thoughts on this team um, after the 60-game season? Well, honestly, man, Impact, you just called me a legend. Deservingly. Yeah. yeah. It was a very interesting year, uh, to say the least. The way it was intended to be. Compared to the way it was, it was just so different. I mean, I was supposed to do uh, the boost for over 30 games, you know, have fans in the stands so you can feel that energy and kind of understand when you need to have the pauses because you're reacting to something. And we didn't have that. I mean, we had a sound system that was creating fan noise, like it was it'll be the show. It was just very, very different. But uh, it was a great learning experience for me personally because we had a lot of limitations uh, when it came to. You know, just the amount of people at work, the way they had to communicate at first until it got a little bit more um, open and comfortable over time. Uh, just getting into the rhythm of it because everything was moved up because you had protocols you had to do and different things you had to accomplish even before you actually did your job. So there's a lot of uh, question marks every day, but I think, you know, when you have that in your life, it builds resiliency. Uh, that will lead into kind of my thoughts on the Pirates this year. But the 2020 season in general is an incredible test of adversity that I believe that can shine light on some really incredible things if you use it the right way. We can always look at things and say, oh, why did this happen? We don't deserve this. This is awful. And it is. But we can either sit here and play the victim and sulk in our pity, or we could, you know, stand up with our chest held uh, high and just keep walking forward and be better for it. And I think that's what my agenda is moving forward. Just trying to use everything I, I, you know, learned this year and take it into next year. Hopefully, hoping it'll be that much easier to you know, just do my job and love the game the way I always have. Certainly. And, you know, you, you talked about it, just how different everything is this year, how crazy it is. Did the team, the broadcast team, you know, kind of begin to grow and get used to things like this by the end of the season? I mean, who would have thought that, you know, you'd have to take a test every day, you'd have to go through all these protocols. What was it like by the end of the year, you know, I guess as it became normal? Um, I think it was different for different guys. Um, I think it's where you put your, where you put your faith. Um, I, I forgot about COVID when I was working and when I was at work and even when I had to prepare for it because I got to go to work. You know, I, I spent three and a half months, four months at home in Tennessee just rehabbing and doing podcasts and writing. Um, and I hate to write, but I started, you know, putting together blogs and putting together some ideas. I was bored to death. I mean, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is awful. I need, I need like baseball. I need, I need my substance. I need that, that thing that just you know, makes my heart pitter-patter sometimes. So, 
you know, just getting back, I kind of forgot, you know, some of the craziness in the world. It was my getaway. And for other guys, it was, you know, it was a fear factor day in, day out. And, you know, team throughout, we're all made different. We're all, you know, going to see things differently. And it, it was a incredible thing watching a team of people come together with limited amount of space, limited amount of coverage, limited amount of views, uh, the opportunities were the same. We didn't even have our own cameras on the road. I mean, we were on a national feed where we had to hope that they would put the, the, the camera uh, on Jeff Bell when we're talking about it, but they put it on Bono because it was a very different year. Um, so if you're a fan, you had to love baseball because it wasn't the my opinion, probably the best TV we could have done, but I think we did a great job. And the people that, you know, from behind the scenes, the engineers and how they, how they did it flawlessly was remarkable. And, you know, at Run Muncher, we are a fan website. And, and like you said, as a fan this year, you really had to be invested. Um, and you guys, you know, did an incredible job all season providing coverage of these games because there were no fans allowed. That's the only way you could watch your team was through AT&T Sportsnet this year, if you're a Pirates fan. Um, and like you said, during quarantine, it, it's kind of, you know, I think people crave time off. People crave time, um, you know, to be able to get stuff done. But once sports were canceled, once, you know, the craziness started to unfold, I think baseball is one of the things that people needed the most during this summer. You know, that, that consistency, watching your team every day. The Pirates coming into the season, everybody knew, you know, what was going to be the case. We had hope. 60 game season, anything is possible, but 19 and 41 is not necessarily uh, too far away from many projections. Pirates are up and down here, but but how nice is it just to have baseball? Um, talk about this team a little bit and kind of how you noticed their energy throughout this season, battling COVID, you know, battling all, all of the the judgments that they would probably finish last in this division. How did they grow and and you know deal with everything as the season went on? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to my previous statement and said where I said like this is uh, this is an opportunity to build resiliency and I feel like the Pirates already had a good group of guys and then they brought in a new staff and a couple of new faces and the group got closer and I think in the long run you know it's gonna play a tsunami wave into how good they can be comparative to if they had divided in that clubhouse. What I mean is that. The game has really shifted. It's more individually based than it's ever been. It's, it's more title than it's ever been. It's more analytical than it's ever been, which I like. But sometimes it can't hurt the game sometimes because empathy goes away. Natural human beings just disappear. But these guys grabbed a hold of the you know, human aspect. And I felt the staff did a great job with it all year. They protected the players. They protected the coaches. They didn't wishy-washy around all the, hey, we're going to be a playoff team, or we're going to be better than you think. Like, hey, we could win. We don't know. Like, we have to play the games. But, you know, hindsight 2020, like, we're, if we're looking way ahead, we're saying, hey, we're trying to get better by the end of the season. That's what they did. They accomplished that. But with everything they had to deal with, I think the one thing that I wish the fan base would understand, and I know you guys do, is these guys got hired late. So they didn't have a chance to develop. So when you're – Open, you know, guys like Chad Cool and Musgrove and these guys, their mentality and their mindset is still in the old. They're trying to create the new, and you've got to see it towards the end, where they put in, you know, all the rap photo data. They use the slow motion camera to help pitch the guys. We saw Rich Rock breaking ball just get so much better. Hardly went to a new level, even though he lost his uh, mechanics and his timing there for the time guy back. And that's what I think. Fans need to understand the talent on this team hasn't been completely utilized yet. The arms haven't been squeezed the way it can be squeezed, especially when it comes to the pitching standpoint. And that's the real requirement. So I think the more time these guys have to create individual plans and player cards, these guys are off season. That's exactly what they did for bigger cards. I know that they're trying to do it in my league while Skyping, they're cracked, they're in the instructs now, they're getting to put hands on with these guys, teaching analytics, how to use it, how they can better themselves for it. So, have them, it goes moving forward. so some of these guys that have been good, it could be great. 
And if you get four or five guys like that, you're changing the whole entire system. I, I, when I was teaching blue in the face, I would say out of 30 teams, as of last year, we are the top, or we are the bottom two, and using the auto process. So when I say making a huge jump and people don't realize it, I really truly believe that, especially if I am. I get what you're saying, Michael. It's like, even if they improve the, say, league average, imagine what, you know, they could do to some of these prospects to get them to, to take that next step forward. And I think that was the most disappointing part of the year for me, uh, personally, just being a huge, you know, I really write a lot about the minor leagues and seeing a lot of those guys miss this year, not only just, you know, in general for them losing that development, but having a new front office in for the first time and see if they could get some of those, you know, talented guys down there to take that, like you said, go from that good prospect to great prospect. Um, you know, a, a trend a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, people were talking about if uh, Huntington, you know, left a bear cupboard or not for um, Charrington and really compared, you know, compared to the previous regime, Huntington didn't leave, you know, a terrible minor league system. I think the, the, the issue we always saw was the development side of things. And I, you know, was really interested to see how the new front office would, you know, establish more of a structured development system compared to the previous one. But, you know, hopefully next year we'll get to see that. You guys write about it all the time. I'm not sure. Which one of you guys writes consistently and who's writing what on certain days? But, like, you guys do a great job of kind of breaking down, you know, analytical anomalies throughout the season. So, like, hey, this guy's horizontal vertical break is better than lead average. He's got something here that's, you know, really good. Um, his strikeout percentage is way up. His lift percentage on these pitches are way up. Like, you do a great job of thinking. Like, think about it throughout the minor league. So, now, uh, I, I haven't. I'm not 100 percent on this, but I know at least at the double A level, to the high A level, they have all the tracks. I don't know if they have it in low A. I know they have it in charts, obviously, because that's their high A. But so they have three levels that they can use data in real time to help these guys, just like they do with everything that's available. And you think about it in the sense of okay, well, you have certain guys that have been like I'll use a glass now, for example. He was in the system. They wanted to develop a changeup. They wanted him to throw sinkers and all these things. Well, nothing, nothing to that like magnitude fit to his pitching profile on his analytic measures. Like he releases all foot closer than almost anybody in the league. He has a different type of spin than most guys in the league because he cuts the ball a little bit, and he's a forcing guy because he cuts the ball so. If you try to sink it, it flattens out and straightens it, doesn't throw it as hard. Then you try to make it to a changeup, it comes a BP fastball. So, and eventually he's going to start throwing a slider, but it's going to be a natural pitch for him, it's going to be unhittable. So, like, the, the, the reality of it is, they, Tampa Bay just knew it before they got him and just said, hey, this is how you're going to maximize your potential. And it simplifies it for a guy that does now, he needs that simplification. And there's five or six guys in the minor leagues right now, you don't know their names that are throwing the wrong pitches in the, in the wrong sequence at the wrong time, and they're not utilizing their best pitch most often, and they're going to all of a sudden start doing that like you saw Howard do this year by utilizing a slider as a strike pitch uh, more often, and he went to a 60% usage instead of a 40 35% usage. You saw Musgrove's usage change, Cools, uh, Cools change. All these guys changed what they were doing, and there's a reason for that. They're yeah, you saw the pro- – they, they get to see their profile and where they're really good. Like, Musgrove, hey, you're, you have three pitches that are way above league average. You should probably throw those more than any other pitch. He started doing it in his last three starts. It was fastball, and breaking ball, and slider, and those many covers, I think change that. Those pitches just played out much better. And that's what I think we're going to see. I'm really passionate about this. It's something that, like, I've, I've had a lot of conversations lately with people in Pittsburgh because they're like, man, it's the same old, same old. No, really it's really not. Like, just look at the playoffs. Like, money doesn't buy a winning team. Like, you look at the 80s, you look at Tampa Bay, 
Um, you look at the, the teams that have like wiggled into the playoffs year after year, and now all of a sudden they won as a pick. I mean, it's not it's not just money anymore. You you do it the right way at the bottom of the organization and work it up, and you can spend the money at the top because now you know you're investing into a winning product. Young talent has become, I think, way more important now than it ever has. I mean, you just see these superstars, Acuna, Tatis, you know, just to name a couple beyond that. But I think guys like Trout and Stanton, they kind of set the standard, you know, years ago, Harper also. But I think, you know, that was a big deal when those three were doing what they're doing now. It's like some of these teams have three, you know, guys under 25 alone who are superstars already. Right, right. And, you know, that's where I think I'm excited to watch how Ben Sherrington and the new regime put things together because I'm a big believer in being a friend. Like, just like if you're doing the stock market, like buy high or uh, buy low, sell high. I think that's kind of the mindset the Pirates could have going into this offseason. They could get some free agents that they would never in a million years be able to get because the market's going to be terrible. There's going to be more minor league and in-between guys than ever before because nobody played last year. So there's, there's going to be some demo. A lot of guys aren't playing winter ball. There's some, not a lot. So it's going to be very interesting. And I wonder if a team like the Pirates, and I'm kind of asking you guys, I think this is where they could go, is they could try to scoop up in-betweeners. So they scoop up guys that could turn into a Max Muncy, a Justin Turner, a Chris Taylor, uh, these guys that – like, wait, where did where did this guy come from? Like, he's a journeyman, and all of a sudden he's a hundred million dollar player. What happened? You know, that's where I think they can make a a big jump because those guys are going to get overlooked because of that young talent. And guys like once again, like uh, Nelson Cruz, forty one years old, still hitting twenty homers a year. Guys like that are going to be overlooked consistently because these GMs and teams are looking so young, and they're looking at the the analytics, ooh, these guys still have room to grow where they think certain guys have maxed out their potential, but they're consistent. And consistency plays a huge part in this game, and that's where the Pirates really struggled this year. So you throw some consistency in the middle of their lineup or the middle of their bullpen, you know what you're going to get just about every time they go out. That changes the team dramatically in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one, one thing you hit on there, Michael, with the offseason, you know, adding some of these under-the-radar guys, I think, you know, you, you look going into 2021, it's going to be a lot like 2020 was in the sense of you're still kind of filling out your younger talent, you know, who's going to be here for the long term, who's a building block, who is not. So you're probably going to be looking at adding a lot more of like depth type of players in the offseason, I feel. And those depth kind of guys – you know, those are the guys that this past off season take Philip Evans before he got hurt, for example. You know, that depth minor league signing that turns into a guy like, hey, you know, he might be a pretty big part of this team for the next few years. So I, I will be very curious to see that this offseason, any players like that who may be flying under the radar because of how strange of a season 2020 was, that the Pirates might be able to get on to for a pretty reasonable or cheap price and potentially turn them into a big part of the team in 2021 and beyond. I know that was a big thing at, I, I know that was a big thing at this year's trade deadline, that a lot of the players who were being dealt were players who were going to be, you know, potential roster casualties this off season. Um, you know, I can't think of, any off the top of my head right now, I just remember seeing that report that a lot of those players were going to be guys who would potentially be DFA'd or Rule 5 guys, you know, and that's why they are looking to move them uh, then. And that's why you didn't see so many of the top prospect names instead. So I, that, I think that's, you know, what you're kind of saying, Michael, is we, we could see a lot of guys who are on that roster bubble who teams might decide to just move on from because they want to move on to their younger talent instead, like last year with the Mets, um, Mets and Cubs, you know, Philip Evans, where he was blocked, you know, the last couple of years. Finally, he gets to come to Pittsburgh, gets a chance, improves himself, you know, maybe something similar hopefully will play out again. I think they might have one in Anthony Alford, too. Yeah, I think he's a very interesting player to me. So you think about it 
like you guys are talking about, and then think about the expedited players. You know, you look at the is it Crockett with White Sox? I think there's 100, 150 or something uh, from the left side that got drafted this year. You look at the third baseman with uh, the, the Phillies, and some of these guys probably were a year out, you know, technically, and you know, maybe would have gotten called up, but maybe not. Like there's there's guys across the board on a bunch of different teams. I mean, look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals are calling guys up from IA. Right. So I mean, it's Right, right. So these guys had success, so they're not going backwards. So that's going to create an ultimate logjam at the top, especially with these bigger rosters. So all these guys are going to have like these in between guys that have, have ability, have talent. I think you're going to see names that you would never believe are going to get designated or thrown in free agent or be trade bait because there's somebody that's able to take their spot. I mean, you, you think about like he's still trying. I mean, he's struggled in. talked about when we had you on at the beginning of the season how analytical the game is getting how analytical you need to be to, to be competitive in this game and the old regime like you talked about back at the beginning of the season ditched all that was getting away from that as Ben Charrington gets to Pittsburgh and, and you've had you know very intricate um, contact with both the old regime and the new regime what was the, the first thing you noticed and, and maybe if you were going to give a grade for this first season of Ben Charrington and this new regime what would it be? Because, like you mentioned, this this regime is worried about analytics and worried about being at the forefront of, of technology in this game. Um, what are your thoughts on Sherrington's year one? Uh, every team that played this year gets an egg. Um, but I, I think the progress, I would have liked to see a little bit more progress at the point. Um, I, I think there's some things that you know, all these guys were starting to buy in, but they weren't completely buying in, and I think it would completely transform their career if they would just buy in. Um, yeah. So I, I was like, wow, oh, come on, just go on. But uh, all in all, I, I think being able to see these guys progress and play their best baseball the last three weeks, I mean, that was, that was good for me. I mean, it was a really tough season to watch, especially early on. I mean, the mistakes, I feel like they – you know, lost the game on one giant mistake every single game for like 25 games. It was just like, man, like they just can't catch a break. They can't get the hit. They can't, you know, get that. You know, the guy that was absolutely nailed the night or two before, you know, strike the day. It was just always something. But that's where like big improvements uh, can occur relatively quick, especially when you have a non COVID season. Yeah, I agree with you there on it being great to see the last few weeks the Pirates playing the best ball they played all year. Um, this is one thing I mentioned on our last podcast. One of the big differences between this season and a normal season is, you know, when this season ended, you typically beat about Memorial Day. So you would still have 100 games of growth and progress and development and all of that to be had. And I think that's one thing that really hurt teams like the Pirates this year is not having an extra 100 games. You know, by the end of the year, you could see where you had a guy like Colin Moran who looked like he was really figuring out its power. And Cabrian Hayes being Cabrian Hayes. In the last couple of weeks of the play, Brian Reynolds was starting to look more comfortable. Like, I, I feel confident saying, had it been a normal season, you would have seen guys like that continue their progression. Not to mention Jeff Musgrove. Yeah, yeah. Musgrove's last couple of starts looked untouchable. I mean – 
it was a mentality change. You know, we watched the trailer, him and they fighter, and he realized that. And, and this is something I don't think teams in general anymore do a good job of. It's like they need to make sure these guys know it's, it's their career that's on the line. And I think that's where like comfort this year got to the Pirates and teams around the league is because they didn't have the minor leaguer. They didn't have three key Brian Hayes knocking at the door in 350 and triple A. Right? They were, they were playing sim games with no scoreboard. So, like, they didn't even have an idea of what was going on down below. So, they didn't have that panic. I mean, I always think about that Clemente quote. I walked over every spring training, and I wanted to see the guy that wanted to take my job. That, this is the first season in history that that wasn't going to probably happen. I mean, guys weren't getting designated uh, besides Carson, Carson Fulmer, who seemed to get designated every other day <laughs> because they weren't performing, right? So most, they were hanging on to guys more than ever. So very end of the season, like Wade Davis got designated in the season. But it was just a different realm, and I think the guys got really comfortable because of that. But – they should have used that comfort and said, you know what, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use it to try to you know, really expedite my career and make it that much better and try to produce you know, more slugging and try to hit the ball in the air a little bit more, try to you know, increase the heart rate or whatever and try some things so that they come into next year with that experiment done. They don't go into spring training experiment, they go into spring training to prepare. So what do you think Musgrove's wake-up call was? Uh, individuality. So, like, it, you're not really at it. Uh, well, this, uh, a long time ago. Like, everyone has a reason to play the game. So, it, it may be you're playing for, you know, your, your religion, your religious beliefs, your family, you're playing for money, whatever. He's like, whatever it is, you hold on to it, and then when the team falls apart, that's the one thing you grab a hold of. Because you're going to have losing seasons, you're going to have bad days, and it's easy or losing my 10, you know, like, swing it first pitch, blah, 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 because you're under contract, but no, 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 no. You're playing for your family. You're playing for that next contract. You're playing for uh, your life so people can see that you represent something bigger than you can And I think, I think Joe Musgrove saw that moment in that MMA fight in his favorite fighter, you know, gave a press conference afterwards, and he was down and out, he wasn't going to win, blah, 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 and he won, and he just said, like, you have to seize every moment, every opportunity, because they're not going to last forever. Wow. Yeah. Joe Musgrove is the kind of guy, I think, that, like you said, is, is always there to take a hold of that moment. You really saw it coming back from the injury. Another guy we talked about a lot last week, Michael, we wanted your opinion on this. Mitch Keller, coming out and throwing 11 no-hit innings to end his season. Um, but, you know, the numbers are a little bit worrisome. His, his velocity is down a bit, his spin rate. Um, we, we went back and forth last week, kind of chose sides on this. What's Mitch Keller's future looking like with this rotation? Do you continue to, to take a chance, or when does that, that you know, number one prospect um, magic kind of run out? Um, it, 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 he somehow has a career this year. Um, his numbers don't line up. The strikeouts were down. The rate was down. The breaking ball was down. Slider wasn't as sharp. Um, Swing and miss wasn't as good. I mean, we can go on and on and on, right? Last year was the exact opposite. He had terrible luck. So, uh, I, I, they argued with me at the office when he did that no-hitter. I was like, he didn't have good stuff. Like, that's, how, that's how good he is. Like, he, he's definitely that good. His stuff was awful that night. Like, he wasn't in the zone, which I think helped him throw a no-hitter. And same thing when he walked eight and, you know, didn't give up anything. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that boils down to stuff is really, really good. It's, it's next level. Um, it's Jamison Tyon type. It's your whole type. But he's got a cartoon mindset. That's why I do it. Like, I'm not picking on the kid. I'm not yeah. trying to be mean. But the reality is he's talking about his career getting better. Well, maybe it's getting better between, you know, where you were from this season to this start, but then it's down the next start, and it's down from last year, you have to ask yourself why. You have to answer those questions. You have to seek the truth. I think he relies too much on the people around him. And one thing that was really telling for me is when he said, yeah, I can't wait to be behind Jameson. And I was like, you really want to – no, I can't wait to be beside Jameson. Yeah. I can't wait to be <laughs> <laughs> 
things to find that, that attitude, like that bulldog mentality. Yeah, yeah like where he's going, like he's fishing with three guys in and in, and that's it. And he's gonna put all their tickets, walk Doctor Doug out, maybe yell at him, whatever it takes. He's got to find that. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's silent. Maybe it's psychopath. I don't know. He's gonna find it. He's gonna pull out all this potential because his stuff is there. It's just the mentality's not. The fact that he doesn't throw his breaking ball in the dirt 13 times a game and get swing misses is beyond me. I mean, it really is. It blows my mind sometimes. I'm like, bounce it, bounce it, bounce it. He's going to swing it. He can throw 52 feet. He's going to swing. And he hangs it and that hits it uh, 700 feet. Like, he was going to swing no matter where he threw it. You just have to throw it in the barrel. And it's just like, when you see that, the old catcher in me just wants to go you know, shake it, put him the bullpen, just walk through life like not throw a pitch, just walk through life. And see where that mentality is, is you know, waiting in the whims inside his brain. See, that's interesting to me because I, I remember if we would go back to the preseason show we did and, you know, we talked a lot about Keller that night and that, that was what you said going into the season you wanted to see. You wanted to see a mentality change on the mound. And, you know, for a lot of the guys that we saw growth for, right, I, I get the red, you know, the caution here with, with Peller and it makes sense what you're saying. It's, you know, it's still about him needing to, you know, have confidence and trust the stuff. Right. And you're seeing, you're seeing three guys on that staff doing it in three guys. Like Jameson, uh, Jameson Tyron has completely bought into, you know, arm mapping and biomechanics and changing, you know, the way he, his body moves. So he's more adaptable and he has less likely less likely to get hurt again. So like he's bought in completely understanding what he needed to do. So Musgrove changed the mentality and then Brawl decided, hey, I have stuff that nobody hits pretty much ever. All I have to do is attack the zone, which was like a huge you know, light bulb that went off in his head and he simplified the game. And all of a sudden he throws his best move. So you see three guys right there. And I don't play Chad Cool in there because I think Chad Cool's coming. I think it, I think next year is going to be his year where he creates that mentality um, of a bulldog and he stops pitching the contact and he becomes just an animal. I really think he could be. He's another guy with the mentality aspect that's going to hold him back. He creates that. But he's going to he's going to fall in line with those guys. He always pitches up to par with the guys that he's around. It's crazy. I feel like every time I ever watch him pitch, he seems to pitch up to par with the guys that he's around. So you figure out the guys that will be in that staff next year better step up or those guys should come after him. Like, Listen, little guy, like, you got to figure this out. Or we're going to go in the ring and we're going to fight a little and make sure that we have some toughness to do more because we're tyrants. We're not, you know, ponies. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, I, like, I like, I like, uh, like that's, that's the reality. Like, he has got to be stern with him. They kept, like, he's so good. Like, like I blessed him with tremendous talent. And I don't know who needs to do it. I don't know who he needs to hear it from, but there's somebody in this world that can get to him. They got to get to him because the time, the, the window just closes every year, you know, because the confidence needs to get in there so he can build on it. And then it's just rolling that hill. And that's what's really good. To circle back real quick to one thing you said about him, Michael, and obviously you would be able to speak to this better than just about anybody, but you know, I did go back to like, the 13, 14, and 15 seasons when what made the Pirates so great was the top of that rotation. And when Keller said, I can't wait to be behind Jamison, I feel very confident in saying that between AJ, Garrett Cole, and Frankie Liriano, none of them ever would have said, I can't wait to be behind insert pitcher here. Like they all had the mindset that I'm going to go out there, I'm going to take the ball, and I'm going to shove the night because I'm the team's ace. They were all names. Period. And the crazy thing is, is when Jeff Marcus, they all made him feel like they because that's what he needed. That's what, that's what you have to realize as a team. is like, you become a unit like that. Like, you got to be your biggest fan, and you got to give them what they need for their personality to so build up their strengths. And then when you have that real talk and try to enhance those weaknesses, you do. But in the meantime, just try to, hey, hey, man, you're, you're the best. You have the best curveball I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, bounce it. Bounce it in front of the plate. Everyone's going to swing at it. Like, no one can hit it if you 
if you're really aggressive with him. And like build him up and see what happens. Make you believe that like man, he's invincible. And then maybe he really actually will go out there and pitch like he's invincible. See how good that would be. I mean the Pirates fans are keep you got the pieces, you have Tyon striking out eleventh game, uh uh striking out eleven twelve game, you have uh Mr. the same thing, you have three guys on the rotation that looks like Cincinnati uh, top three because they're punching tickets and they're getting out of their own jam. That's when you become a lead pitcher when you get traffic on and you get a strike on when you get out of it. That's what those guys have the ability to do that they haven't done consistently in the last couple of years. We've heard so much about Oscar Marine and how he's taken pitchers, you know, like Kelly, like Joe Musgrove even, and, and just helped them figure some things out. The bullpen this year was a roller coaster. You know, obviously at the beginning of the season, Kyle Crick, Rich Rod going down. Um, you know, and obviously Kayla was never really a part of this bullpen. As they kind of evolved, what do you take away the most? Rich Rod's, you know, comeback, the way he returned, Nick Tropiano. Talk about kind of how Oscar Marine worked with this bullpen and, and what we can expect moving forward. Who's who's going to stick around, I guess? Um, I love the Tropiano pickup. Um, I think that's yeah, something the Pirates fans are going to love with this new staff is we, we as a collective group over the last, I don't know, probably 10 years, uh, Neil Huntington and his regime almost tried to find similar guys. This team through the slider. You didn't see a lot of guys in the big breaking balls, you know, tie on. But most of the guys were, were super slider guys. So, unless you're left handed. And I, I felt like it kind of filled up the minor league system and the big league system. Well, then they go out, they go out and get Nick Tropiano, who, you know, has something that nobody on the fire has. You have a split and, and a really, really good changeup. A good spin at the top of his own. He throws a wrinkle into the middle of your bullpen because he's so different. And I think it's outstanding. I think bullpens having diversity is, is usually the best thing because it continually throws wrinkles at the hitters. It's hard to game plan. Yeah, like that's why the uh, Tampa Bay Rays are so good. That's why they do the, you know, the, um, the bullpen yeah. because they they can throw out a guy that is elite at the top of the lineup and strike out three guys that starts their day off bad and then bring in a guy soft off the lefty that can pitch five innings and then they bring in a sidewinder and it just throws you for a loop because you never get comfortable. And that's where I think the bullpen is going with, with what you said about the guys that have come back. I love that they picked up Carson Palmer. Um, he did an interview and talked about he got away from who he was at Vanderbilt. And any guy that's from Vanderbilt I would take a chance on because uh, their integrity, humility, and their understanding of the game, and sometimes getting them and allowing them to be who they are and do what they've done in the past, it gives them freedom, and their potential comes back. I mean, Carson Palmer used to 98. He's still 98 again. He may be the lead closer for us in the near future. So uh, I love that pickup. Uh, I think Richard took a step forward. I do think he'll be on the trade block as well because – Pretty straight arbitration eligible. I uh, completely checked. Um, I think Sam Howard and Charlie will be guys that you know, chance make the team, but they're also depth options. And some of these other guys got, you know, a taste um, are really, really, really good for them, like uh, Cedar Land and um, there's Wolf of Holden or somewhere. Lefty. Like, I, I'm really happy some of those guys got a steal for the league. Yeah. And it's really tough to hear because. Wyman, Blake Wyman. Or who? Yeah. 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 All those guys that got a that got a feel, uh the what's the the kid with the big curve or the um so it's hard, high spin guy, big curveball. Uh Mears. Yeah, all those all those guys getting an opportunity and having to deal with some awkwardness, I think it's going to be a benefit for them moving forward. So that's creating that depth that you were talking about a minute ago. And then, you know, you can see where the solar rotation is and some of those guys are going to be pushed to the bullpen. And that's going to make your bullpen that much better. Then you get Santana back. You hope to get, you know, Birdie healthy and back. And then I think 
you know, Kimi Kimi would sign back if they went back for peanuts to showcase because he's comfortable here. And coming off an injury, it's really hard to make someone feel comfortable. Yeah, I, there's a lot of options. I would really like <clears throat> that's just kind of good for me to hear about Keone Keller because I would really like the idea of bringing him back at a discount rate if possible. Let him be your closer. Let him reestablish some value because I think not only could he provide a lot of just being a good brain to pick for some of the younger relievers, but I think he can build a trade value up and potentially bring you back a nice piece of the trade deadline next year. And one thing you mentioned too, Michael, like with Nick Mears, for example, and I kind of said this a few times during the season, like even though it was obvious Nick Mears was not 100% major league ready yet, that doesn't change the fact that him getting major league innings this year is going to do wonders for him long term. Because like you said, he gets that taste of it. He starts to understand it more. He can start to build that. How much data they could pull from yeah. it too. Every batter he gets out, every strikeout he gets, he builds that confidence of, okay, I can do this. And like you said, Nick, you can pull data from that. So then he has things to learn from. And I think a lot of that goes back to Cedarland as well, where, I mean, now Cedarland picked pretty well outside of one bad outing. But even though he only had a few outings, still, you can pull data from that. He can build confidence. I do think that the Pirates, with guys like Cedarland, Mears, like Wyman, you know, even though he's not a younger guy like they are, Chris Stratton's under control for a while. They, they can very quietly put together a pretty strong bullpen here, I feel, you know, once you get some of these top bullpen prospects to the majors. And again, like you said, Michael, you'll have starting pitchers, you know, who might get bumped to the bullpen, which in turn make the bullpen better. So I, I just I, I think the bullpen could quietly become a strength for this team next season if a couple of chips fall the right way. One thing I think you're gonna see different about this regime compared to the other regime is uh, guys will turn over quicker. So like if a guy has options and like let's say for example uh Chris Rod, right? It, it took them what, six weeks in two thousand nineteen to send him down, I believe. Something like that. It was something like that, yeah. I, I think these guys are going to be so developmental mindset and, you know, trying to grow as quick as possible that, you know, if, if a guy like Newman who's got two options left, if he's not performing next year on spring training, we're going to send him back. Like, they're not going to play, oh, well, he's there because of this. Like, you know, Stallings has got his job. I believe Reynolds has got his job. You know, Moran probably has his job, and I don't know if you can say anyone else is just like a shoe-in. We just obviously the, the, the star, but I think he has trade potential, so I don't know about that. I think that they're going to be willing to say, hey, man, go down here with absolutely no pressure and get this right and come back and be better. I think they're going to be really good about that, and I think they're going to use the options the way they use their – they do a great job of moving guys around. I have options even if they're pitching really well. We're sorry, but you know we need this right now, and you're not doing. You need to do it. That's it. No, and, and that's that's for me at least. That's good here too, because that was one gripe I had with the old regime a lot. Was even whenever the team was performing well, there would be guys who I felt were in that position where, rather was you know they really could use a help in this position from the minors or somebody struggling. Hey, let's get down AAA for a few weeks. I'm trying to figure it out. It just didn't happen enough. I felt so. Hopefully, that will indeed become a more regular thing for this front office moving forward. And with Ben Charrington's track record, I mean. Obviously, the guy's proven he knows how to build a winner, so I have no doubts that he's going to do what it takes to make that happen. I mean, Michael, you told us that, like at the um, that one season there, you said Barajas literally came up to you and said, "I don't know why you're not getting to play more." We did nothing else. We should have been splitting time, and we were a great like duo together, especially offensively. And it it, it wasn't about maximizing his success and my success, right? It was just about, well, he's paid $4.1 million and he's on the minimum and whatever their reason is for me not to play more, it just, it didn't make sense to him, it didn't make sense to the Walker, it didn't make sense to a lot of guys. They they were fighting for it and it's just never changed. I don't think that's going to be the case. I I think they're going to ride hot hands. I don't think they're going to rotate the line the way they did last year. I think they're going to try to maximize guys' potential and figure out, oh, uh, 
I think so-and-so is going to be unbelievable today against Ricky because he matches up well. It doesn't make sense. But then all of a sudden he gets three hits. You're like, oh, wow, what just happened? You know, like, I, I think you're going to see maybe a different, like, philosophy than before. And I'm, I'm interested to see what it is. Um, I thought they could show it off a little bit, but it, it stayed a, a long year of a trial. Yeah, what what's your thoughts there? That was something I we've talked a lot about on the show, especially with Derek Shaw. And at times we kind of felt like we were seeing a lot of the same stuff that we saw, you know, the last couple of years. Was it just in terms of, like you said, more of a tryout, more just kind of seeing what they had still and figuring out who's going to be here next year? Um, yeah, I think that was part of it. And I think, too, they wanted to – Figure out a game plan for each individual. So, like, we see the game where it's at strikeouts are up, walks are up, home runs are up. How do you start to compete in a game where you don't have to step in there? You have to help them figure out a home runs, strikeout last, you know, so they, they have to figure out, like, little nuances to make every guy maximize the position and then put him in other situations. But I think what it, they're also doing and looking at, and this is my hope, is where can we like steal a run? Where can we steal an opportunity? Where can we maximize a really bad situation to our benefit? So, like, for example, meaning, like, all right, Josh Bell does not hit Trevor Bauer, right? I'm just making up a name. Uh, he doesn't hit it. So you tell Josh Bell his game plan on that day is, hey, you got one chance and then one. Hit hit every time you face it until they shift back over because you don't pull, you specifically do not pull Trevor Bauer. Of course, you know, hey, Josh Bell, this guy's going to throw you three breaking balls. Like, there you see it. Like, don't swing. Like, just do not swing until he throws you those breaking balls. And I think guys will start to buy in with that stuff because at some point the hitter's got to flip the analytics on the pitchers. I think it's going to come sooner than later. I think a team like the Pirates, where you can look at, all right, how can we maximize Cole Tucker? How can we maximize this guy and this guy? And we start to do it not just physically and biomechanically and analytically, but we do it mentally by helping them understand their true uh, self-identity in every single game and every single opportunity. Like Baez, for example, this year won it twice against the Dan Burns since 2018. But he also hasn't hit 205 since his first year. So it made sense, right? He's a competitor. He wanted to be on base. When we got on base, he stole second. And, you know, we're creating havoc. So, like, he maximized the potential of different areas, even though he wouldn't hit the homer, but he normally does. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 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 That's just identifying where you're at. Like, uh, it's something I wish I would have done better as a player. Somebody would tell me at a young age, hey, Michael, like, um, you hit through, like, throughout your career, you hit over 300 against righties, and you hit 180 against uh, lefties. Coaching staff constantly putting you up against lefties, but you only hit the hard throwing lefties. Why? And then how can you maximize your potential? I didn't figure it out until I was uh, almost 30 that I needed to change my entire approach to the softer throwing lefties. Then I hit 300 against lefties in 14. And it just was a mind shift, just a complete mind shift of what I needed to do. But I never, I was given these opportunities like, oh, they believe in me and whatnot. And I knew my slugging was high against them, but my walkers was high. My batting average was terrible. So, like, if you're a betting man, you're not betting on me. Yeah, I'll, I'll surprise you, but you are betting on me. I, kind of flip that a little bit and then you start looking at it in different areas. You can do it across the diamond to figure out how you can maximize every situation and every guy to the best ability. And what was interesting about this year, we saw certain guys I think really maximize the opportunity. Eric Gonzalez, for example, you know, Jacob Stallings, um, really getting the most out of this season. But we also saw guys and you touched on at the beginning the one area that you wanted to see an improvement with this regime without Played, you know what? What I guess was the reasoning behind that. How did you notice the philosophy kind of get incorporated, and 
you know, with a team that finished 27th in home runs, 28th in batting average. Well, I guess what's behind that, behind the, the inconsistency and struggles at the plate this year for the Pirates? To be honest, I think it's an identity for each individual player. So I think Paul Moran is the best story offensively this year because I think he's the one guy that I didn't know who he is. So he had 250, I believe, 10 hours. Um, he was in the 90th percentile for plus and five different, you know, big boy categories. Um, and I think he identified, hey, I more power. If I get the back a little better, my body movements are a little cleaner. And, you know, when I don't feel good, I always have the opportunity to go back to who I was, you know, stay inside the ball headed the other way. And he, he did a really good job of kind of playing out something in real time that I think is going to completely enhance his career. And I think that's where the other guys can do. So, like, I'll use Adam Trejo, for example, because I think he has way more in the position. Um, he doesn't have a lot of movement, but he's very, very strong. He to the ball. And being short to the ball hurts him at times because he runs out of that away. I think if he can handle it, I think if he brought in a, if he took more of a Corey Dickerson approach where he allowed the pitcher's timing to dictate his um, rhythm and timing. So, you know, if a guy if he felt like he needed to go foot down early, great. If he felt like he needed to go leg kick, toe tap, if he's just in rhythm and is very adaptable to the guy he's facing, because you know, when he has good days, he have bad days, he has bad days. I really believe that's because, you know, guys that are put down early, guys that are shorter run out of bat a lot quicker. He's so, you know, short, he, guys can, you know, run that ball away from him, and he kind of runs out of bat at times. I think he could have more adjustability with, you know, not being stuck in the ground, which also will create more power because his body will continue to be in motion. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Colin Moran, just the mindset was there. Um, just the philosophy with some of these guys, you can tell, had been so much improved in the offseason. I think Colin Moran, though, is the guy to highlight in that area. A lot of positives to take away from 2020. Obviously, the Pirates finished in last place. Um, we'll presumably have the number one pick in the draft. Brian Hayes coming up, ending the year on a high note. This team having the best two weeks of their season right at the end. Michael, it has been an awesome show tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we get out of here. Let's go around the table and talk about oh, your favorite. Man. Yeah, already, man. I know. We can, let's, let's keep going all night. Maybe we can have a part two or something. Yeah, let's talk baseball. <laughs> no doubt. It's, it's been such a pleasure as always. Um, you know, just great stuff. Before you close it out, what was your favorite moment, memory of this 2020 season? Probably Blake Cedarland's. Uh, Little soldier kick after a strikeout and, and like a straightaway. That was probably my favorite moment. Like individually, that was my favorite moment. Um, the the other favorite moment was Ryan Reynolds hit a home run. Uh, his second to last time he hit, he little boy Reese. That was the first time he was watching on TV. Started that other home. Nice. So, That's awesome. They did the family's uh, state of sweet that last series. So I, I thought that was a really cool story. So, uh, yeah, yeah, for I sure. Think, like, the moments, I, thought, I, thought, uh, Starter was brawl. I, mean, I, I love seeing a good guy you know, put some things together and enjoy himself inside. Agreed there, for sure. No, I was going to say, Michael, I figured you would definitely get brawl in there. I know you, you have long been a big Stephen Brawl fan and believer. And he's definitely one of those people who, just from what I've gathered from him following him between social media and in the, in the meeting with the press and sort of thing, very easy guy to root for. And he's just like my wife and I always say that Stephen Dalton is like he's truly like the most interesting guy in the world because he seems like he does everything between his music and playing baseball and like the guy just does everything. Yeah. 
he really is. It was awesome to see him finally put it all together this year. And there's something I wrote about on the site a week or two ago where, like, if you really dig deep into the numbers, there's a lot of reasons to believe that what he did this year is pretty sustainable moving forward. Like, he didn't seem like a flash in the pan. Like, uh, a lot of his peripherals and, and advanced metrics were that he was that good. It's not like, you know, he had a three-seven area with his fifth being over five or something like that. So it was great to see Brawl put it together. Um, I, I think for me, my favorite moment going to the offensive side of the ball had to be Brian Hayes' debut. I mean, even though the Pirates lost that game, like he just about single-handedly willed them to victory with that double, with that late home run. And that was – it was awesome to see. But at the same time, that game was a little bit – it was a little on the depressing side to me just because that was one of those moments where you, to, I felt you really felt not having the fans there because you would typically have them come out for the curtain call and people going crazy and all of that. But it was still a really awesome moment. And you know it was a moment that Key Brian and I'm sure his dad especially are never going to forget. So it was just great to see that. And just Hayes in general this year, it was awesome to see him really. This is one thing I've, I've hit on, on on the show a lot since he came up. I feel like this is the first time since Kutch was here. You have that guy who you know is truly the face of the franchise between his performance. That guy you build around. Yeah, the energy he brings. Like, Key Bryan's the guy who you're going to, you can very much see being in commercials and the endorsement deals. And everybody in baseball knows who he is as a superstar. So it was just great to see him come up and really show off all his tools in that month or so he had the major leagues this year. Key Bryan, He's similar. He's someone you can depend on on one side of the ball every day. So, like, that's what, that's what the game changer is with a guy like him. You know, so when he brings in, in uh, I've always thought he'd be able to, you know, slug in the big leagues because the ball's a lot harder, goes further. Um, he has a good head on his shoulders. When he brought in that leg kick and opened up a little bit more, his body movements got better, and I knew something special can happen and he's a guy I really believe you know because of his defense he's probably gonna give you you know top five maybe top in the league I'd say top five top ten numbers with you know outs above average and you know the defensive matrix are gonna be so good that like even if he's basically with twenty next year like he probably made all stars because the defense is that good. That's what Really, really special teams start to have. If you look at Machado, he's an elite defender, even though he doesn't hit 30 homers. But then when he has three homers, you have one of the best players in the game. So that's where, like, Key Brian Hayes is, is, is a huge difference maker in the organization. I also feel like for a guy like Hayes, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to take away, I'm sure he every day in and out. It works very hard on defense, but being such an advanced defender, that probably allows him to, you know, spend a little more time crafting the offensive side of the game because he's so advanced there. Where a lot of young guys, you know, you're looking at having to make sure that they're getting enough time in the field and in the cage because you're trying to, you know, develop the whole player still. That's uh, that's why I keep comparing him to uh, Longoria. I mean, Longoria, you didn't realize how good he was until you saw him live. Like, because he made everything look easy. Like, Don Arenado, nobody's surprised how good he is. He does something silly every day. But, like, Longo just did things that weren't normal every day, but he made it look easy, and that's what he grinded. I mean, yeah. if he's if he that good, he can be better. Um, I think he, that, that's something to really look forward to for a long time. I mean, for for me, yeah, I agree that the con. That I would definitely like to see them try to reengage in contract extension talks with him. But you know, for me, my the moment that I think of is him making that uh, over the shoulder uh, catch down the left field line. I can't remember who it's against, but I mean that that just pretty much summed up everything we've heard of him. You know, and like you just said, he made it just look so easy, like. A lot of third basemen aren't even getting close to that but baseball. Meanwhile, he just was making it look like he shagging fly balls. Like that just impressed me so much. And then on the offensive side, yeah, yeah. On the the offensive side, um, 
just to see him, like Marty said, come up and hit and I think surpass expectations. Uh, you, you know, being the top prospect, obviously people knew, but you, we also knew a lot of that was because of the defense. So to see him come up and, you know, really do what the front office has been preaching for the last, you know, eight months to a year, you know, that was really, I think the thing that stood out for me was to actually see a young guy come up and do what we've been told that they're trying to do, you know, because we haven't really gotten to see that. <laughs> yeah, very true. And he's kind of like, I mean, exceeding expectation. He was yeah. very hyped on our end, you know, from, I think from all angles. Right. This guy was, was hyped, but he came up and proved it. I mean, he um, looked like really, he's been in the league for five years, you know. Immediately, you know, one of, if not the best players on this team, bringing energy too, just the clubhouse presence, the way he added that spark every day. There's something to watch. I have, something to, I have one other miscellaneous moment. Uh, when Alfred stole home plate. I thought that was pretty that was pretty exciting and once again I think just kind of see showing you know what the why there's the interest in him you know showing the athleticism why Charrington wanted to bring him in here so hopefully he can get healthy and we can get to see more more of that dynamic uh, athleticism yeah that's another one of those guys um you know like you talked about earlier those guys that this organization needs um you know to win because it's a little bit middle of the road Next year, that uh, Martin and Alfred fight for that spot in left field. I think I think Little Martin has some some uh, hidden potential, and uh, Rock feels the exact same way. Uh, I, I just see Colton Long every time I look at him. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think he I think he hits the ball harder consistently. Um, and I think if he really gives into who he is and starts having the ball up front, hmm. uh, and it becomes a just straight pull hitter at once, I think he's a guy that would be a little man with 25 corners over there to play in a league defense. So many guys that, um, you know, we're just going to see. This was a test season. This was a 60-game year, COVID-ridden. The Pirates weren't projected to be good. This was a year to, to figure out what you have in guys like Alfred, guys like, you know, Philip Evans, uh, Jason Martin, like you're talking about, and and with a first-year regime, a chance to get to know what you have inside your organization. A lot of great moments. I'm going to say my favorite moment of the year was July 24th, 7 p.m., pitch number one in St. Louis, just to have baseball. That's what it was about. Um, and the Pirates will look to build off of the momentum at the end of the season and take it into next year. Michael, thank you so much for coming on again. It is always a pleasure. The wealth of knowledge. Um, it's just insane. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. And really, you know, for all your coverage throughout this season with AT&T Sportsnet, giving us an option, a way to see the game. So, truly incredible work. Go take a vacation, man. Take a day off for one. <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh, I want to say the uh, same thing we've had. You guys do a great job. Um, I read, I read a lot of what you guys put out. Uh, I enjoy it. I think you guys put out quality perspectives. So, uh, continue to do great work. Um, and anytime I want to talk baseball, you want to break down anything, just holler at me. So, we really appreciate it. Especially we'll have to, maybe we'll have to, you know, next week or two, get on and get on again and we'll delve into more of an off-season preview kind of thing. You know, what the off-season might hold for the Pirates, all that jazz. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I can learn a lot from you guys from the Meyer League side. So, I focus so hard on you know, Until next time, guys, as always, you can find us on Omni.com, on fansided.com slash rumbunter, 
You can find us at our social media at Rumbunter on Twitter and on Apple Music as well. This has been a blast, guys. Breaking it down. The Pittsburgh Pirates finish at 19 and 41. And we'll hopefully have the number one draft pick coming up here. We're going to continue to put out episodes now pretty much once a week as we get into this offseason, breaking down what it's going to look like, getting into the winter meeting. We'll have emergency episodes, you know, as deals happen, free agent signings, um, you know, really whatever it calls for. Reach out to us on Twitter, guys. Give us your thoughts, um, whatever you want to hear about, comments, anything. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, and just just to hear from you. We're all here together this offseason. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso and Michael McHenry, my name is Trey Yannity. Thank you for listening. Let's go, Bucks.